Hey, we'll open your Bibles, if you will, to Genesis. We're actually going to be in, uh, go back in Genesis chapter 6 for a few minutes before we get into chapter 7, where the majority of our text is today. Uh, but we will pick up there um, uh, somewhere in chapter 6, around verse 9 is where we'll start. Uh, there's some words that you might hear from time to time called gospel deconstruction. Does that make any sense to you? Have you heard those words before? Gospel deconstruction. And so what happens to that? It happens a lot. It needs to happen a lot here, specifically in the South. Uh, we have a tendency in our Southern churches and our Southern culture to live kind of moral therapeutic deism, where there, we believe that there's a God way out there somewhere. He's not really a personal God. And, and so we live these moral lifestyles, or we try to live some moral lifestyles, and somehow we feel better about ourselves whenever we live this way, and somehow we think that we're, we're satisfying some God who's way out there. And that's the way many of us live our lives, uh, and we think that's what the Christian life is about. And so unfortunately, uh, that's not what it's about at all, but it's been kind of moved and taught and, and unfortunately practiced that way a lot of times. And so many times we believe we've got to do some gospel deconstruction to get us to the point to where we go. This is not about moral therapeutic deism, but this is about a gospel awakeness. We want you to be awakened to the gospel. We want you to know that there is a God who loves you and cares for you, and he is intimately involved with you in your lives and and so if that's not what your experience has been, where there is a God who is personal and where he is, got, he is really involved in your life on an intimate basis, then we hope that you'll find that out today, be, at least begin to find that out today here at Refuge and understand that the story of God is, again, is not some God who is way out there, but is a God who is personal, who has come down, and the, it, the, God the Son has come to rescue sinners like you and me. Amen. Yeah, that's the good news of the gospel. So, uh, so in talking about deconstructing ourselves, we're going to actually get to the great deconstruction that happens in the scripture today. So again, you've opened your Bibles to uh, uh, chapter six. So we're going to kind of set the stage for Genesis chapter seven, and we'll pick up uh, from last week's text. Uh, we'll read in chapter six. We'll start in verse nine. And this is what the scripture says. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, <clears throat> and Noah walked with God. If you're an underliner in your Bible or anything like that, I would encourage you to underline these things. Noah was a righteous man, under, underline righteous, uh, underline blameless in his generation, and underline walked with God. That is some things that describe Noah. That is who the scripture tells us that he was. And so, Noah was a righteous man, not because uh, he was perfect or he was righteous in what he did, but why was he a righteous man? Well, I'll tell you. It's because he believed God. The scripture says that he believed God. He trusted God. It's the same reason that you and I are righteous today, not because of the things that we do. We're not righteous because of our acts, but we're righteous because we believe God. We trust God. We, we trust in the finished work of Jesus or the things that make us righteous today. And so Noah believed God. And so like Abraham, who we'll see a little bit later in Genesis chapter 15, who believed God and he counted it to him as righteous, righteousness, Noah believed God. And so you say, well, what did he believe God about? Well, he believed God because he needed to build a big old boat. Hey, go build this big boat. Go build this ark. It's going to take you 100 years to build it, but I need you to go and build this big boat. Now, you might say, that seems like quite the works, preacher. That seems like you're talking about some works righteousness if Noah took 100 years to build a boat, not just belief. 
How do you know, preacher, that, that Noah, Noah's faith or Noah's righteousness was by faith and not by just his works that he was building this ark? It seems like building the ark is quite the work of righteousness. Well, I'm glad you asked. The New Testament uh, makes this abundantly clear in Hebrews chapter 7. This is what it says, uh, by faith, say that with me, by faith, by faith, faith, Noah, uh, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Now, I have to tell you, I had to correct this as I was typing these things in. uh, When I was typing it in, it said, uh, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, irreverent fear, (laughs) constructed an ark. And I was like, wait a minute, that changes the whole piece of the text. So I was like, oh, we got to fix this, boys. Uh, Anyway, so it says, by faith, Noah built the ark. So God told him something was going to happen, something that he had never seen before, something he couldn't understand or really comprehend in his own mind. And so by faith, he had to build this ark. And that's what the writer in the New Testament says, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen. They'd never seen anything like what was about to happen, never comprehended anything could happen like it was. And so by faith, he had to build this big monstrosity of a, uh, a boat. And so Noah, I mean, he was doing some things for his family. Who wouldn't do anything for your like, I mean, you'd do something for your family, right? It took you 100 years, you might do something for, yeah, I mean, the 100-year project, you would do it if you thought you could do it and live that long to do it. But the scripture says this, a statement in verse nine uh, says this, that Noah was a righteous man. And honestly, it's the first mention of somebody being righteous in the scriptures. And the Bible set, uh, sets forth that the righteousness comes by faith. Righteousness comes by faith. Say that with me. Righteousness comes by faith. Some of you did not say it. And so I need you to say it with me. Righteousness comes by faith. I'm looking for you to see if your mouth is moving. Let's say it one more time just to capture everybody. Righteousness comes by faith. Okay, there we go. I feel a lot better now. Righteousness comes by faith. And so Noah was also described like this, blameless in his generation. Again, Noah wasn't sinless. No, he wasn't a sinless guy, but the scripture said that he was counted as blameless despite the evil context in which he lived. And and so the Bible describes his context that he lived in something like this. Uh, Verse 11 says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. Say corrupt. Corrupt. Yeah, and the earth was filled with violence. Say violence. Violence. Yeah, and God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt. Say corrupt again. And for all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. Say corrupt. Yeah, so uh, corrupt, that sounds like harumph, but uh, did I get a corrupt out of this guy? Uh, So the the scripture tells us that the whole earth was corrupt around him, and and so this corrupting of the earth came from uh, these demonized Nephilim, and they were marrying the women on the earth, and so, uh, but although that was happening all around him, it did not divert nor pervert Noah and his call that God had on his life. We talked about the Nephilim a few weeks ago. If you're new to this or you're new to Refuge, new to this particular text, you can go back and listen to those things. There's a whole thing on the Nephilim, and you'll need to go back to kind of catch up on that. I don't have time to get into that today. So, But in the middle of this perverted generation, Peter tells us in the New Testament that Noah heralded righteousness. 
that despite the, the corruptness around him, despite all the evil that was going around him, that Noah heralded righteousness, and he did it in this violent, ridden, pre-flood culture. I mean, I'm sure that many around Noah really wanted to uh, eliminate him, but God protected Noah. He preserved Noah. 2 Peter 2.5 says that if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah. So this is telling us in the New Testament that it was God who preserved Noah, despite the violent world around him, that it was God who was protecting Noah. He preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought the flood upon the world of the ungodly. The scripture says that he was a herald of righteousness. What are you a herald of? What are you a herald of? I mean, the scripture describes Noah this way and says, he heralded righteousness. So what do you get a picture of if you say someone is a herald of righteousness? What are they doing? It would be like, uh, I might have this banner. If, if, my, if my face was on one of those billboards, or Noah's face was on one of those billboards, not my face, but if Noah's face was on those billboards on I-40, it might say a herald of righteousness above him. What would it say on yours? What are we heralding today? Our, our lives scream something. All of our lives scream something to the people around us. You have a sphere of influence around you and your life screams something. Your life, your life heralds something. The scripture tells us that Noah was a herald of righteousness. My encouragement to you, church, redeem the time. Redeem the time. The time is short. Redeem the time. You're heralding something. Let it be of righteousness. Let it be of, of godliness. Let it be of gospel saturation. Let it be of good news that Jesus rescues sinners. Herald something. You're heralding something. Let it be of righteousness. So we get to this point. Noah built an ark. Took, again, it took Noah and his sons 100 years to build an ark. I mean, think about 100 years. I mean, that's a long time. I mean, even Larry McBee's not 100 years old yet. Wait, wait, are you Larry? All right, we'll keep on going. I mean, can you imagine the ridicule that Noah faced uh, during these 100 years? I mean, how many, again, we talked about this last week, but how many jokes did you have to endure? How many, how many uh, ridicule statements did you have to endure? How many one-liners can you hear in 100 years while you're building something that no one's ever seen before? Yet Noah remained obedient. And, and the scripture tells us that Noah did all that God commanded him. Everything that God commanded him to do, Noah actually went and did. And again, he did it for, first he did it for like 10 years, and, and then he did it for 25 years, and he came on going, and 50 years later, he's still doing the same thing that God called him to do. And 75 years later, and, and 100 years later, he's still doing the things that God called him to do. Until finally, the ark was complete. Until finally, this huge, big monstrosity of a boat, that there was no reason to need this boat in the world before that, it was done, and it was complete. And then... The scripture tells us that Noah brought, that God brought all these animals to him and they put supplies in the ark and they collected the animals. And again, it happened just as God commanded him. So we can begin to see from this text 
what it means to be righteous. And I wrote this down that a righteous person rests everything on the word of God and obeys it. Okay? Now you can go, wait a minute, preacher, what you talking about, about that? So uh, the text tells us that Noah was a righteous man. And so a righteous person rests everything on the word of God. So that, that's kind of the indicative. So what God has said and what God has done, so we're resting everything on what God said, right? We kind of do the same things today. We trust the gospel. We say that when we repent of our sins and put our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, we, become, we get the righteousness of Christ. And so we trust God in that, right? And so this is a picture of that in the Old Testament where, God, where Noah was trusting God with all that he did. And the scripture says, and then he obeys it. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to obey it. The, the, in the New Testament, James talks a lot about that. He says our faith without works is what? Yeah, it's dead. So we can't have a faith that does nothing because the scripture says that is the outflowing of our faith. So the indicative here is that he rested everything on the word of God, trusted everything that God said, and then he did it, then he obeyed it. The indicative, this is what God has done, this is what God tells me, it says I'm righteous, and so because of that, I'm gonna do what God calls me to do. Amen? Amen. Tracking with me? Yeah. All right, let me go. <clears throat> so this, we get a view of what it means in this to walk with God. It means walking in obedience to what God says or what God calls us to do. He's called you to do something. He's called you to live a certain way. He's called you to get involved in something somewhere in the work of the gospel somewhere along the way. So what does it mean to be a righteous man or woman today? Or what is, what is the person God saves like today? And one is we can believe God's promises and we can believe that our, we can say that uh, God's promises that this belief is counted to us as, us as righteousness. We believe God, it's counted to us as righteousness today. God doesn't change, he doesn't change the way he works. So we can believe that our belief is counted to us as righteousness. So what does a righteous man or woman do? How does a righteous man or woman live? Well, one, we walk with God. What does it mean to walk with God? What does it look like in your life to walk with God? What does it mean to listen to God and hear from God? And if God tells you to embark on some type of project, what does it mean for you to do, live like that? What does it mean to respond to God? If God calls you to do something, what is our response to it? Do we just turn a deaf ear to it? What if Noah did that? Do we turn a deaf ear to the things that God calls us to do? He may be calling us to some crazy things. Or maybe just be calling us to some benign things. But he's calling us to something, calling you specifically to something. What does it look like to respond to God? Sometimes what we do, or we do what God calls us to do, despite what it looks like to those around us. It may look crazy to people around. It may look crazy to your family to do some things that God calls us to do. They look crazy to your friend group. They look crazy to the people that you work with. The scripture says that we are, God's gonna call us to do, all of us to do something. How are we gonna respond? This was righteous Noah then and our calling today as people of God. So then we get to chapter seven. <clears throat> That's what the text says. I'll have it on the screen for us. We'll read through, we're gonna read the entire 
chapter. That's what the text says. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark and to all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a, and a pair of the animals that are not, excuse me, and a pair of his animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and several pair of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep, uh, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain upon the earth. <clears throat> uh, for in seven days I will send rain upon the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Say that with me. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. Woo! Yeah. 600 years old when the flood waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. After, and after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were open and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. <clears throat> On that very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, we saw a picture of them last week, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons and them entered into the ark. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature, they went into the ark with Noah, two and, uh, two, and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth, so that all the high mountains under the whole heaven, heaven were covered. The waters prevailed on the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. Sorry, I missed that one. And the flesh, all flesh died, excuse me, and all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land and whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out everything that was on the face of the ground. Men and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. That's the story of the great flood. Now, one of the things that I dislike with very much aggressiveness is the way that this story is told in so many of our children's curriculums. And pictures that we have of the ark and songs that we sing about this particular biblical event. Here's a typical picture that we see of Noah and the ark. Right? I mean, this is what we see. 
I can remember actually whenever uh, before my firstborn, before Leanna was born, we considered doing Noah and the Ark as part of our uh, decorations in her room. You know, with a nice chair rail with like these animals, pictures of animals. And we actually considered that. You can judge me. Uh, (laughs) uh, But we considered doing something like this because, man, it's a cute story. There's animals and things like this. But, and, and so somehow we've turned this tragic and devastating story of the obedience of Noah and the salvation of his family and the utter destruction of every other living thing on the earth into some type of cute kid's wall art. It's what we've done. To take one of the most serious stories in the scripture, devastatingly sad stories in the scripture, and turned it into this. We even sing sadistic songs about it. And we're going to go through the whole stupid song. I've got the words for you. You know this one? You know this one? The Lord said to Noah, there's going to be a floody, floody. Let's just stop right there. There's going to be a floody, floody. The Lord said to Noah, there's going to be a floody, floody. Get those children out of the muddy, muddy children of the Lord. Let's keep singing. Well, Noah, he built him, he built him an arky, arky, seriously. Noah, he built him, he built him an arky, arky, built it out of Hickory, barky, barky, children of the... Yeah, this is a song that you all know. See, you sung it before. Let's keep going. We're singing it all. He called for the animals. They came in by twosies, twosies. I called for the animals. They came in by twosies, twosies. Elephants and kangaroosies, roosies, children. I hate this song already. We're going to keep going, though, because it's ridiculous. It rained and it rained for 40 days. These days, I don't know how that goes. It rained and it rained and for 40 days. These days, he's nearly drove those animals crazy, crazy children of the Lord. Do you hate it as much as I do right now? We're going to keep going. <laughs> then Noah, he sent out, he sent out a dovey, dovey, Noah. He sent out, he sent out a dovey, dovey, sent him to the heavens above, above, children of the Lord. We're keeping going. The sun came out and it dried up up the landy, landy sun. It came out and dried up the landy, landy. Everything was fine and dandy, dandy, children. I mean, forget that uh, everything had been wiped out, but everything was fine and dandy. Kangaroosies. Yes, they came at, they, they came off, they came off by threesies, threesies, animals, they came off, they came off by threesies, threesies, grizzly bears and chimpanzees, these, these, these children of the Lord. We got one more verse. 
This is the end of the end of the story, story. This is the end of the end of the story, story. Everything is hunky-dory, dory, children of the Lord. Oh, my goodness. This is not a proper account of the flood. This is not a proper reminiscing of the flood. I didn't put my hashtag, but hashtag never again should go up after that. Never sing that song again. If we ever do that in children's ministry, Jamie, you're fired. Uh, We will never sing that song again. Okay, let me get off my soapbox for that, and we'll get back to the text. This is what we've done to stories like this. To be nice and cute for our kids rather than telling them the, the seriousness of something like this. You're like, well, my kids can't take that story, then skip that story and go to a different story. But don't make the light of the devastating thing that happened in the flood. Yeah. Terrible. It's what sin does to us. We, and somehow this has been flipped over to be some cute song, but this is, the, this is what sin does. And it causes devastation. Chapter 7 uh, reveals God's word to Noah just seven days before the flood. This is what the scripture says in chapter 7, verse 2. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate. And so in this, God really anticipated the sacrificial uh, system that was going to come. Uh, and so though, even though God wiped out all living things, uh, that didn't wipe away all sin. Because so uh, Noah and his wife, uh, Noah and his family would still be sinful people. And so there were some things out there that they would need to know and, and ahead. And, and they, they would need to take into the new, they were taking their uh, uh, sin from this old world and into the new world. And, and then verse four records uh, God's final words and the final sentence of the before the flood. It's one of total judgment and destruction. That's what it says. For in seven days, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and for 40 nights. And every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. Blot it out. Kill it all. I'm going to blot it out. And then you skip to verse 16. Uh, 16 records that the Lord shut Noah and his family into the ark. The Lord shut him in. The scripture says that he, he put him on the ark, and it says that God closed the door of the ark. God sealed it up for them. The Lord closed the door. God locked them in. And then think about that. Noah and his family sat in darkness in the ark. No lights in there. Only the light that might come might be when the sun rises in the east, comes through the few windows that might have been in the ark, and it sat in the west, waiting for this to come. Can you imagine the sounds that they would listen to? (laughs) You imagine the smells I mean, the anticipation of what was about to come, all these animals, I mean, you know it smelt bad in there, right? I mean, it was, it was rank. It was crowded, too. Crowded, yeah. I mean, it was full of just animals just waiting for something to happen. Then the scripture says this in verse 17. The flood continues 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up on the ark, and it rose high above the ark. 
Then the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the earth. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And so the language that we read throughout this chapter is intended to give us a picture of violent churning waters. This is not some just easy, easy rise up of the waters. This is a violent act of God on the face of the earth. This is not something nice and cute. This is a violent judgment of God on the earth. If you look in verse uh, 11, this is what the scripture says. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened. So think about how how that must have looked when the fountains of the deep burst open. And that's saying that, that water was coming up out of the earth, not just down from the sky, but it was bursting forth on the earth. And when it says the windows of the heaven were open, one of the commentators says that it really was reminiscent back to Genesis chapter one, whenever God separated the, the heavens from the earth and he, and, and he separated the, uh, the waters below from the firmament above. Uh, one commentator said it was like he released all that again back onto the earth, to flood the earth, to destroy all that was there. It was one big, massive act of decreation. And so we've read about creation, and now we read about sin that leads to decreation. For 40 days and for 40 nights, the floodwaters raging over the face of the earth, over the vast continents, the storm was a supernatural storm. And only those inside the ark survived. Other than Noah and his family, there were no other survivors. This is what it says in the text. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land and whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the face of the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. So this was the determined end of God's declaration from Genesis chapter 6, 7 when he said this. Remember he said this in chapter 6. I will blot out man from whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made him. This is what we get to in Genesis chapter seven, verse 23. Total death saved Noah and his family. All living souls in the pre-flood world saved Noah and his family died. The utter corruption and the rampant violence could only be met with death. Now, there's no doubt that many people who were having to undergo this and and endure this flood outside of the ark were incredulous when it came to to see what was happening around them. Wait, wait, what's happening? I can just imagine the anger that was welling up in people. Peter tells us that God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. And so what Peter was saying was that despite all the sin around him, that God was patient while Noah was building the ark. For the hundred years while it took Noah to build the ark, God was being patient with all those people. 
with all the rampant sin that the scripture tells us was going on. I mean, Noah had been warning mankind for over a century that judgment was coming. The same thing happens today. Preachers like me stand in pulpits around the country and say and warn people, judgment is coming. For those who will be outside the ark, judgment is coming. For those of you who are outside the household of faith, judgment is coming. There's salvation found only in the safety of what God created in the ark. That means in the the same way, there's salvation, there's hope, there is life found only in Jesus. That's your hope. And people like me herald it on a regular basis. Sometimes, just like it did in Noah's day, it falls on your dead ears. And just like it was too late then, for some of you, it will be too late one day. It's my hope that you will hear that there is hope found in Jesus. There is salvation found in Jesus. There is safety inside the ark that is found in Jesus alone. Don't miss that. See, Jesus warned of the coming judgment. This is just not me. Jesus warned of the coming judgment. So of all the apostles and the prophets, that judgment would come to the ungodly. Only those who enter in through the ark of salvation found in Jesus will be saved. This has literally been the message for the last 2,000 years. And though there are terrible songs and terrible wall art, and terrible things that distort this story of Noah and the ark. This this text is not about, really, those things. It's not about geography. It's not about, did all the mountains get under the water? It's not about, was this a worldwide flood? This is not about what happened to the dinosaurs or anything at all like that that people get distracted with. This story is intended to demonstrate what kind of man or woman is saved from judgment. That's what this story is about. What type of man or woman is saved from judgment? And Noah gives us the answer. It is simply this, by faith. Who's saved from judgment? Those who by faith trust in the word of God. See, the scripture, or the writer of Hebrews says this. It says this, that Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. He didn't have any idea what this was going to look like. He just did it by faith because he trusted God. He couldn't see the end. He couldn't see all the ins and the outs of what was to come. He just trusted the one. He trusted the message of the one that he was trustworthy. And so by faith, he did something that seemed crazy. Noah trusted God by faith for the salvation of him and his family. Noah believed God. Back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. The rest of this verse says, By this he, Noah, condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. He became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. 
How do you become righteous? By faith. By faith. The scripture says Noah became righteous by faith. He built an ark. He did something because he trusted in the finished. He trusted in what God said was gonna happen. And so by faith, he did something crazy. He built an ark. God's not asking you to build an ark. Jesus is the ark of salvation. He's just saying, enter in. I've already done that for you. I've already completed the work. Just enter in. Just come in. So the question becomes for you today, where is your righteousness rooted? Where do you place your hope? Do you obey God? Do you trust God? Do you believe God? Are you righteous in your generation today? This righteousness from Noah produced obedience. And it will for us today too. A life that trusts Jesus walks with God. See, we've been lulled to sleep to thinking that we do, our, we call it golden ticket theology here in, at Refuge, that we just say this prayer and then we live our life and, and, and we have this, this salvation prayer and we've got our golden ticket and we live our life any way we want to and one of these days I'll pull out my golden ticket and go, hey God, remember I said that prayer when I was a kid and it was the prayer of salvation. My preacher told me it was the prayer of salvation. My life doesn't look any different. I wasn't obedient to you in anything that I did, but I prayed the prayer of salvation. We've been lulled to sleep in this golden ticket theology, just like we've been lulled to sleep with silly children's songs about the seriousness of sin and its consequences. But there's hope, just like there was hope for the people in Noah's day, there's hope for you today. If you've been lulled to sleep, if you've been playing around, if you've been neglecting God, if you've been raising your fists at God, if you've been one to ridicule God, if you've been one to kind of scoff at God, I just want to tell you, there's hope for you today. The ark of salvation is in Jesus. This is a picture of the one who saves. The Jesus is the one who saves. Only those in Jesus will be saved are secure, and will be saved from the judgment to come. My encouragement to you today, just as Noah believed God, you believe God today. Just as Noah might be one to warn others, I'm here to warn you today that there's only hope in one way. Not the way you might want it to be, but there's hope in one way, and his name is Jesus. I want you to believe God and live a life of obedience, following Jesus, trusting God, living a life pleasing to him. And I want you to believe God. My hope for you before any of you leave today is just as Noah and his family were safe, the only ones safe in the ark, before you leave today, enter in. And be safe in Jesus today. Let me pray for us.